Well, tonight's going to be a little bit different than what I normally minister in a church uh, because there is a leadership emphasis tonight. You understand that? And, and I want you to understand there may be some people say, well, it's really isn't for me because I'm not really leadership and, and, and that type of thing. But let me just, let me just say this. Um, leadership is more than just having some title. Leadership is having more than a position. Uh, leadership really is two things. It is having influence and it's having responsibility. So you don't have to have any title in order for tonight to be relevant to you. You don't have to have any position to be, uh, you know, have this be relevant to you. Uh, if you have a heart to serve. Uh, leadership doesn't begin with, you know, getting a big title or a big position. Leadership always begins with serving yeah. and, and carrying responsibility and influencing. And, and I just want to say this, and maybe I don't want to be overly diagnostic about things tonight, but as, as a minister who has the privilege of traveling and speaking in churches, you know, lots and lots of places and really working with churches on their leadership development, building, helping build servant teams. Uh, here's what I've observed over the years, that when you take the body of Christ overall, when you take the entire church world, um, there are really two types of messages that are preached at any given church service. And, you know, when you think of church services, you know, we typically think Sunday morning, you know, maybe a Sunday night, maybe a Wednesday night, something of that nature. There's two types of sermons that are preached at, at most church services. And they're, they're really, they're not contradictory. Uh, they're really like two sides of a coin. And, and the first type of message that is preached in churches has to do with what the believer receives. Everybody say receives. receives. How many of you like to receive from yeah, God? Sure. And uh, please, I don't want you in any way, shape, or form think I'm saying anything negative about receiving from God. How many of you know if we don't receive from God, we're toast? Yeah. <laughs> if, if we didn't receive forgiveness, where would we be? If we didn't receive mercy, how many of you have ever received mercy from God? What about grace from God? Uh, what about the new birth? Anybody ever received the new birth? Uh, what about encouragement? Do you ever, ever receive encouragement? Uh, even though you're born again, do you ever still find that you still need a little bit of encouragement? Uh, somebody said, well, why is it that believers have to continually receive? And why is it that believers have to you know, continually be filled? I just find because we leak. And so we need kind of frequent, regular, consistent refillings and renewals. And, and uh, you know, we, we got encouraged last week, but I still need to be encouraged this week. And so, uh, you know, one of the reasons we read our Bible, one of the reasons we pray, one of the reasons we come to church is we come to church to receive from God. Yeah. And, and I will never make an apology for that. I don't ever want anybody to feel, you know, like that's wrong. Uh, Jesus said this. He said, fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So if it's His good pleasure to give us the kingdom, it should be our good pleasure to receive the kingdom. And so anything that God has for us, joy, peace, um, comfort, 
uh, you know, anything that we need from God. The Bible says if God did not withhold Jesus from us, then how shall he not also with him also freely give us all things? So we are receivers, aren't we? And and so we come to church with expectancy. We read our Bibles with expectancy. We pray with expectancy because God is a good God. God is a giving God. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. So, and I think probably the majority of messages that are preached in churches across the country, probably around the world, probably in in charismatic, word of faith, evangelical, Bible-believing churches, probably the number one message that is preached, if we're just going to put it in broad categories, is stuff that God wants us to receive from Him. How many of you think receiving from God is an awesome thing? But, here's, here's the uh, other side of the coin. There's more to the Bible. There's more to having a relationship with God. There is more to being a part of the body of Christ than just what we receive from God. As a matter of fact, if that's the only thing we focus on, if that's the only thing that we are interested in, is what I receive then stop and think about it. If I come to church, read the Bible and pray, and all I'm ever thinking about is, God, what can I receive from you? What could that end up doing in my life in terms of my character and my development as a Christian? If the only thing I ever think about is what I receive from God, then kind of who's the center of it all? I can kind of end up with a kind of a self-centered Christianity. I can end up, like Edwin Lewis Cole said, the counterfeit trinity is me, myself, and I. I can begin to think that everything in the whole universe revolves around me. Everything's for me. And, and, And listen, there's a lot that is for me. Forgiveness is for me. Eternal life is for me. The new birth is for me. Justification, uh, righteousness, blessing. That is all for me. But there's a whole other side of it that is not somehow like on, on the other side of the Grand Canyon from what we receive. It's really just on the other side of the coin because Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give. So my question to you tonight is not just what is God getting to you, but what is God getting through you? Not just what are you receiving from God, but what are you doing in response? How are you responding? I want to give you a definition of the word responsibility. And, and, and the definition I have of responsibility is this. Responsibility is our response to His ability. And you can receive from God and be a child of God. You can receive from God and be blessed. You can receive from God and, and have an inheritance on the inside of you. But I believe you'll never really move into maturity until you begin to incorporate into your relationship with God, not just, Lord, what can I receive from you, but, Lord, what can I do for you? How can I take what I have received 
And, and how can I process that, metabolize that through my own system and my own life, and then turn that into something where I'm actually fulfilling the scripture of freely I have received, freely give. Because maturity is not about what we receive from God. Maturity is about what we express from God. Discipleship is not just about what we receive from God. It's, a, it's about following Jesus in the fullness of His calling upon our lives. And, and God calls every single one of us to usefulness. God calls every one of us to fruitfulness. God calls every single one of us to not simply receive, but also to carry an element of responsibility. Now, I want us to look at a particular passage in 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. And, and see, this is what excites me. I have the privilege, Lisa and I have had the privilege of preaching in 26 countries. Uh, I'm getting to go to China here in September. That'll be my first time there. So we'll, you know, hit another country. But we preached in 46 states. And we get to see churches all across the country and all around the world. And I really believe that God is emphasizing some things uh, in this day and in this hour about His church becoming not just a place to come and be blessed, but a place to come and be blessed in order to be a blessing. Uh, to have a heart for the world, to have a heart for other people, uh, to have a heart that, that says, God, you know, I, I want to be blessed. I, I, how many of you know, I think it's okay to be really covetous of God's blessings. You say, oh, Brother Cook, the Bible says, thou shalt not covet. No, the Bible says, covet earnestly the best gifts. Now, don't covet your neighbor's wife, okay? It's true. The Bible says, don't covet, you know, or... You know, your neighbor's donkey, or today it would be your neighbor's car. You know, things like that. Yeah, there's some things not to covet. You know, things that don't belong to you. But the Bible says, covet earnestly the best gifts. I think it's good to be greedy for the blessings of God. Not just so that we can self-indulgently consume them upon ourselves, but we are greedy for the blessings of God because, you see, there, there are situations, and, and probably all of us have been in some of these moments before. Have you ever, how many of you have been in what you'd call a major crisis in your life at some point in time? Let me see your hand. A major crisis. Have you ever been in that moment where you're just trying to keep one nostril above water? <laughs> Man, where, I mean, every bit of energy, you know, maybe your whole system is in upheaval. You know, it could be a, a relational crisis, a financial crisis. You know, it could be an emotional, mental, physical, you know. Uh, I don't like this, Pastor Mark. Brother Hagen said, the crises of life come to us all. When I heard him say that I was 20 years old in Bible school, and I just knew that he just didn't know what he was talking about. I, I was so disappointed at his lack of faith, you know, because he said the crises of life come to us all. And, and how many of you know when you're 20 that maybe you haven't been down the road very far? And um, so now at, at the ripe, you know, old age of 57, 
um, I kind of do say, yeah, the crises of life come to us all. The Bible says many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. And Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So, you know, we don't come to you and we don't bring a message to you in church. Well, if you just come to church and if you just praise Jesus and, and hear, believe and have faith, you'll never face a problem. You know, we, we know that's not the case, don't we? Uh, God's word is not that we'll never have a problem. God's word is that he's bigger than whatever problem knocks on our door. That he will see us through. He will take us over. He'll take us around. He'll take us, you know, he'll, he'll just get us through to the other side. And, uh, but, but what I'm saying is this. There have been times, I know there have been times in my life where I was, you know, feeling such an overwhelming crisis. I couldn't think about anybody but me. The only thing I could think about was how do we get this problem to stop? How do we get this crisis to stop? You know, how do I get a nostril above water? When you are in a survival mode, and that's what kind of happens when we get into crisis. When we're in survival crisis mode, uh, we are preoccupied with the crisis. The reason we want to believe God and trust God and move into victory through the crises of life, is not just so that we can be comfortable. The purpose of life is not just to be comfortable. Now, I've been uncomfortable in distress, and I've been comfortable in peace, and guess what? I like comfortable better. I like peace better. But, you know, there's another, you know, it's one thing to have pressure and problems from circumstances but you know what it's something totally different to have God challenging you God ever ask you to do something that seems impossible does God ever ask you to you know like serve in a way and you think but God I don't have time and and he asks you to do something God I don't know how to do that and, and I don't know if I'm up to that. You know, I believe that God, He doesn't send the crises and all that. We don't understand that. But, but I believe that God will send us challenges in terms of calling us to obedience, yeah. to serve Him in ways that many times will take us out of our comfort zone. And if we're not careful, we will begin to think that the purpose of Christianity is to be comfortable. That means no pressure, no responsibility. I'm just basking. Oh, I'm basking in the glory. Oh, Lord, the glory, the glory. D.L. Moody, you know, the great preacher, I guess late 1900s. Um, I don't remember what year exactly. But he, at one of his meetings, he was a huge soul winner. And D.L. Moody had somebody come to him at one of his meetings and said, uh, uh, Brother Moody, he said, I want you to know, he said, I've been living on the Mount of Transfiguration for seven years. I've, I've been in the glory of God. And D.L. Moody said, how many lost souls have you won to Christ in the last seven years? And he says, well, none. And he said, I suggest you come down from the mountain and, and, and win some people to Jesus. See, the purpose of, of the Christian life isn't just to live in glory. Now, thank God, aren't you glad we can have...
times and seasons in the glory. But see, even Jesus, you know, Peter said, Oh, Lord, we're up on the Mount of Transfiguration, the glory, the light, you know, Moses and Elijah. And, and he said, It's good to be here. Let's build some tents and just stay up here in the glory. And, and there was a voice from heaven that said, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Meaning, quit trying to tell Jesus what to do. And you know what Jesus said? Hey, we had a good time up here in the glory. It's time to go down in the valley. Because there were people down in the valley that needed ministering. Now, one person said this, and I thought this was a good statement. Because, you know, I, I know Pastor Mark and Brenda enough to know that they want to see you completely and fully blessed. They want to see every need of your life met. They love you. They care about you as the pastors of this church. But I also know that they want to see you activated for Christian service. They want to see you mobilized to uh, be uh, fruitful and, and effective and responsible and, and living a life where you're actively looking to be a blessing to others and actively looking to serve other people. And it's in that context that somebody once said that the job of a preacher is to comfort the troubled and to trouble the comfortable. What do you think about that? Because see, our flesh just likes it. How many of you will admit, my, man, my flesh is stingy. Man, my flesh is, I just want to be comforted. I, I, I don't want to be challenged. I don't want to be pushed out of my comfort zone. I just want to do what's really comfortable. And, um, and, and, and some people, they just, you know, even they get to the point. The devil wants to talk everybody out of serving God. Uh, young people think, oh, I'm too young to serve God. Older people think, I'm too old to serve God. And let me just tell you, you're not too young, you're not too old. I just, Pastor Mark, I know nobody in California would say this kind of thing. Or even think this kind of thing. But in some other states I've been in recently, I've had more than one pastor in more than one state tell me that they've had people in their church come up to them and say, you know what, Pastor, I've been serving God here for a long time. And I, I just think I put in my time. I just think I'm gonna I'm just gonna not serve anymore. I'm just gonna let somebody else do it and and all that. And the pastors are kind of like, you know, um, is God telling you you have no more use, no more purpose, no more, you know, calling on your life and 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 all that? I I just believe that as long as we're breathing, we have purpose. Amen. I just believe that as long as, you know, if I can stand in front of the mirror and put fog on the mirror in the morning, uh, I think God wants me to do something and wants me to be fruitful. Let me, let me uh, share this with you from 2 Peter chapter 1 and beginning in verse 5. I'm going to be reading from the New King James, 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 5. Peter uh, has, he's saying here, you know, giving all diligence. How many of you know it's, it's good to be diligent as a Christian? God doesn't want us to be, you know, slipshod and careless and, and you know, indifferent and, and uh, lazy. God wants us to be diligent. Peter says, giving all diligence add to your faith. Can I tell you something? It's not enough 
for a Christian to have faith. Now, you can get to heaven with faith. But, but that's not God's full plan for your life, is just to die and go to heaven. Right. Please don't say that Brother Cook said in order to get saved, we have to have faith plus this and plus that and the other. No, we're saved by grace through faith, trusting in Jesus. But God's plan is for more than just for us to be saved. He says, besides all this giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. And to virtue, knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things, or as another translation says, for if these qualities are yours and abound... You will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I like that. See, Christians, we start with a foundation of faith. Faith is the very first, initial, and primary component of the Christian life. What is faith? It means we trust God. It means we accept that God's Word is true. And when you accept that God's Word is true, for example, when you hear that Jesus died for your sins and you respond in faith, then you become born again. All right? So I'm not saying that faith doesn't cause us to be saved. What I'm saying is that God has more of a plan for your life than just you being saved and going to heaven when you die. God has a whole bunch of other additives that He wants developing in your life, qualities, traits, and so on. See, you have a choice in the Christian life. I think most people will understand if I use this illustration. Most people will understand if I say this. You can be a spiritual Barney Fife, or you can be a spiritual Rambo. What did Barney Fife always carry in his upper left-hand pocket? A bullet. Barney carried a bullet. Why did he only carry one bullet in his pocket? Why didn't Andy... You all know Andy Griffith, right? Why didn't Andy let him have his revolver loaded? Because oh, he'd always shoot himself, shoot the floor. He'd always accidentally shoot. And he didn't give him six bullets. He just gave him one bullet to carry around. And you know what? You're just... You know, if there had been a real problem in Mayberry, Barney was in trouble. Because he only had one bullet. But what do you think of when you picture Rambo? Man, he's got knives tucked everywhere, machetes tucked everywhere. He's got handguns. He's got multiple, you know, machine guns, hand grenades and all that. How many of you would rather be Rambo than Barney? All right? See, that's what Peter is telling us how to be. Add to your faith virtue and knowledge. Now, what Peter is doing here is he's talking about just the Christian in their personal relationship with God. 
But I want to take this same passage of Scripture and I want to create kind of an imaginative paraphrase. And let's take this same concept of adding to your faith and instead of talking about this in the context that Peter does of one's personal relationship with God, let's take this same principle, this same pattern of thought and apply it instead to our responsibility in this life to one another. Because I, but here's what I believe very strongly. If you go through the New Testament, a part of understanding leadership is a part of understanding our responsibility toward others. Leadership in the body of Christ is not just having a big title so you can boss other people around. It's not having a title so you can you know, feel proud because you have a big title. Leadership in the body of Christ is about assuming responsibility for the well-being of others. Leadership in the body of Christ is about using the gifts and abilities that God has given you for the benefit of somebody else and for the growth of the church. And so what if Peter had said this? Now again, what, what I'm doing is I'm adapting 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5-8. through 8, And instead of reading it the way Peter said it, talking to Christians about their relationship with God, I'm going to use my imagination and create a paraphrase if we were to talk about this relative to our callings. How many of you believe that you are called yeah. by God? Now, I don't, I'm not saying you're called to be a preacher. I'm not saying you're called to stand behind the pulpit. Some people are called, you know, and the Bible makes it very clear. Some people have vocal gifts. They're encouragers. They're teachers. They're exhorters and so on and so forth. It may not be public. It might be public. It might just be one-on-one, -on -one, but they're very verbally inclined ministry-wise. But how many of you know there's a lot of people who are called, and they're not called to serve behind the pulpit, but they're called to serve behind the scenes. They're called to, you know, just serve in, in many different ways. You know, parking lot, working with children, audio, video, uh, youth, outreach, hospitality, um, you know, just any... There's so many different areas that leadership begins with saying, I accept responsibility. Yeah. I'm making myself available. That's where leadership begins. So what if Peter had said this, giving all diligence, add to your calling, not add to your faith, that was what he literally said. But what if he's talking about ministry and he'd said something like this, giving all diligence, add to your calling, obedience. Do you know there's some people that have a call on their life and they never obey? They never take the first step? <clears throat> giving all diligence, add to your calling, obedience. To obedience, integrity. To integrity, discipline. To discipline, efficiency. How many of you know God wants us to do it well? Yeah. To efficiency, loyalty. To loyalty, teamwork. To teamwork, passion. To passion, compassion. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in your ministry 
for the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, first of all, let me tell you this. I always think Wednesday night crowds are made up of awesome, awesome people. Do you know why? Because not as many people come on Wednesday night. And so I'm inclined to believe, and if you think I'm flattering you, yeah, maybe I am. But I tend to think, I tend to think that Wednesday night Christians are more spiritual than Sunday morning only Christians. That's just my opinion. Maybe it's not always true. But what do you think? Do you think it's true? Yeah, yeah, I know. I know it's, you think it's true. But you've taken a step of, of, of commitment. I'm, I'm, I'm not just going to be a Sunday morning Christian. And, and, and there are different steps that we have the privilege of taking. But there, there's, there's commitment steps. There's character steps. There's serving steps. And, and leadership really is about how many steps am I willing to take for God? How much am I going to let God do a work in me where I'm going to take my energy and effort... And not just be thinking about me all the time. Uh, sure, how many of you know we need to think about ourselves a little bit? Like when we get up in the morning, think about yourself a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Step in front of the mirror. Think about yourself a little bit. You know, make sure you're, you're looking okay. But, but then don't just spend the whole day thinking about yourself. Think about yourself a little bit. But then begin asking the question, God, how can I be a blessing today? How can I be of service today? Now, God understands that we have lives outside of church. But God wants us to be seeking to glorify Him all the time. You know, we're His ambassadors. We're His representatives all the time. And He wants us to represent Him uh, with godly character, godly attitudes. Uh, He wants us to you know, be uh, vessels of His presence in the earth. And uh, he, like when we work at our jobs, did you know that God wants us to be the best workers that we can possibly be? Because we do what we do for the glory of God. See, we make the mistake sometimes thinking that preachers are the ones that can glorify God. Do you know many of the great leaders in the Bible were not preachers? Many of the great biblical leaders... Do you know Adam was not a preacher? Adam was a farmer and a security guard. He was. He absolutely was. He was there to cultivate the garden, to farm the garden. And God said, and to guard it, be a security guard. Abraham was not a preacher. Abraham was, he was a tribal leader who, who really worked in the business of trade and commerce. He was, we would say today, Abraham was a CEO of a corporation. He had more than a thousand employees. Uh, Joseph was not a preacher in the biblical sense. Uh, Joseph, well, he was a slave, first of all, and then he was a prisoner, and then he became an assistant prison warden while he was still serving time. I know, I know he was innocent, but hey, you know, he got framed and lied about and all that. So he was an assistant prison warden, and finally he went into government work. Daniel was a government worker. Nehemiah was a government worker. Uh, Paul uh, was a leather worker and, and, and worked with, you know, made tents and other leather goods. How many of you know that Jesus spent six times longer as a 
uh, carpenter than he did as a preacher. God wants us to, whatever our vocation, whatever our everyday work is, God wants us to look at that. That's our ministry. We're doing it for the glory of God. If you fix cars, fix cars for the glory of God. If you're a nurse, you know, do that for the glory of God. And then we have privilege not only to serve God in our, our everyday work, but then we get to come to church and we get to volunteer and we get to serve one another and we get to accept responsibility. And, you know, here's something I found, and, and I'm sure Pastor Mark and Brenda can attest to this, the, the, the most beneficial people in churches... When I say beneficial, I just mean in terms of the way they serve and, and the way they contribute to the church with their time, their energy, their talents. It's, it's not usually, many times, it's not people with the greatest ability. Because before your ability even comes into play, several other things have to be in place. Right. Ability, people who have great ability, talent, skills are of no benefit to the kingdom of God until they first of all have availability. They have to be not only available, but they have to be willing. They have to say, God, I'm I'm not just going to use this talent for my company. I'm going to use my gifts here. And maybe you don't use all the same gifts in church that you do, but but whatever gifts you have. God, I'm going to, whatever I have, it's yours. Whatever I have, Jesus, you loved your church enough to give your life for your church. I'm going to give my life for my church too. I understand you've got to do your other duties and responsibilities in life. But, but God, I'm going, to, I'm going to serve you with my time, my talent, my treasure. I'm going to, I'm going to work for you. You first of all have to be available. Yeah. And you have to be willing. And then thirdly, you have to be faithful. You have to, you know, be able to be counted on and be depended upon. You know, we could almost say this, ability does no good without availability, reliability, and dependability. If you have availability, reliability, and dependability, now your ability can do something. But we've got to have that other first. You know, I, I, I look back at my own life and... My wife and I started serving God as janitors. You know, we, uh, we're celebrating our 37th anniversary tomorrow. And uh, when we started, we didn't start behind a pulpit. We started at the toilet stalls and the dirty diaper pails at the daycare and so on and so forth. And, um, man, God, right from the beginning, when I was doing things that my flesh didn't want to do. That it was not stroking my ego to clean, you know, the toilets and so on. But I'll tell you what, God taught us so many lessons about servanthood and I had to learn how to not grumble. I had to learn how to not complain. I had to learn how to not throw pity parties. I had to learn how not to be jealous of other people who were getting to do cool things in ministry when I wasn't. And, and, and I'm so thankful that before we ever had the privilege of beginning to preach that we had an assignment to, to really serve uh, in a way that would really challenge our flesh. Okay? And, um, 
as I learned about attitudes and things like that and learned how to keep good attitudes and serving and doing it for the glory of God, not for the prestige or the recognition of people, um, one of the things I was directed to do years and years ago, my mom was a very good collector, you know, of all our little stuff that you have as kids. And, and um, I, one time I was going through one of those boxes and I just felt... I don't know, kind of led to look at like second grade report card and things like that. And, and, and honestly, I wasn't a, a mega super student. I, I, you know, had my share of, well, just say less than A's, all right? Um, but um, one of the things I noticed, like in kindergarten, first grade, second grade, maybe third grade, they kind of quit doing it in later years. But they had all these other areas where you just get a check mark or, or not. And um, what, they had positive characteristics. And I'm thinking, you know, if these are good for kindergartners, they're probably good for us. And, and what if, now this is not going to happen, but what if we were to get scorecards on how are we doing in our Christian service? And, and here were some of the things, like from my first grade report card, initiative. You take initiative, industry, meaning are you hard, or do you work hard, cooperation, I always liked, plays well with others. <laughs> How many of us, well, I'm not even going to go there, because if I'm not careful, Mark, Pastor Mark, I could get to meddle in here, really easy, plays well with others. What about, what about courtesy? Courtesy, reliability, attitude, punctuality, completes work on time, listens well, participation, adjustment to the group, and follows directions. And I looked at that as, you know, an adult minister, pastor, and I'm thinking, yeah, how am I doing on these? This is a pretty good, I mean, you could use this for a teaching list on how to help all of us be better, you know. Um, And then it also listed negative characteristics. Poorly motivated. Work is carelessly done. Waste time. Gives up too easily. Comes poorly prepared appears not to try, inattentive, capable of doing much better. Here's one, and Pastor Mark, I think I got this one marked one time, annoys others. (laughs) Rude, discourteous to others. And I know I got this one marked one time. Whispers too much. How many know I'm preaching real good? And then, and then this one, listen to this. Promotion in danger. How many of you know God promotes faithful people? So I, I just, you know, I just use that. You know, the Bible says examine yourself. 
check yourself out. How am I doing in these areas? Now, don't wallow in self-examination. And don't always be beating yourself over the head, of, you know, because, you know, we can all say, well, sure, I can serve God better. But, but take these as motivations and then, you know, ask yourself, you know, am I seeking first the kingdom of God in my life? Am I demonstrating the maturity of a believer who is not just has faith, but am I adding to my faith? Am I, am I Barney or am I Rambo? And, and do I just have a calling or am I adding to my calling? Okay. Now, I wanted to read you something that I came across uh, some time ago. And to me, it's so powerful. This was from one of those old-time preachers. How many of you know some of those old-time preachers that just preach fire? That just, I mean, you know, they... they and, and this minister, I'm thinking he was back in the 1800s. But this is what he said. He was talking about, he was talking about teamwork in the body of Christ. And how many of you know that it's one thing to have a good preacher, it's one thing to have a good worship leader, but, but to have a great church, you know what, you have to have everybody involved. You have to have everybody accepting responsibility. You know, God, I have a responsibility with my time. I want to give my time here. I want to give some of my treasure here. I want to give my talent here. And, and I want to serve others. And, and I want to, and one person said this, the price of greatness is responsibility. The price of greatness is responsibility. Let me ask you a question. How many of you want to be great? Let me see your hand. You want to be great. See, I'm so blessed because, Pastor Mark, you weren't, you were looking this way, but most everybody raised their hand. Do you know, I'm in some churches and obviously don't have nearly as great a pastors as this bunch has, but, um, especially her, but I ask that question in some churches and I'm sorry, Pastor Mark, we tease a lot. We have fun, but in, in some churches, seriously, I'll ask that question. How many of you want to be great? And, and everybody's kind of like, this is a trick question. I, I don't, if, if I say, if I say I want to be great, then they're going to think I'm, I'm an egomaniac that I'm trying to, you know, promote myself. So no, I don't want to be great. Well, what do you want to be? I mean, do you get up in the morning and say, God, I just want to be, just help me be just real mediocre today, God. I just want to, I just want to be, you know, average. Or maybe like, God, you know, it's okay if I'm just kind of pathetic today. What, what are you talking about? We want to be great. For the glory of God. Now, some people operate in what I call, it's a lot of false humility. You know, like, well, I just, I just hope I've been a blessing in some small way. <laughs> you know, I mean, Pastor Mark didn't call me and say, Tony, would you just come be a blessing in some small way? I want to be a big blessing. Now, maybe I haven't been, but I want to be. You know, I hope... You know, God really helps you in a whole bunch of ways tonight. But um, uh, Jesus, here's what Jesus said. Whoever would be great among you, let him be ashamed of himself. No, he didn't say that, did he? He didn't say, here's what Jesus said. He said, whoever wants to be great among you, let him be a servant. See, Jesus told us exactly how to be great. 
He didn't say, if you want to be great, shame on you. He said, you've been trying to be great the wrong way. Now let me tell you how to be great the right way. If you want to be great, serve. Lay down your life for others. And, And this gentleman named William Godbey said, and I'll close with this. He was talking about teams of volunteers, teams of servants that work. And he said, oh, the infinite value of the humble gospel helpers. Thousands of people who have no gifts as leaders are number one helpers. How grandly revival work moves along when red-hot platoons of fire-baptized helpers crowd around God's heroic leaders of the embattled host. Efficient leaders are indispensable in the Lord's work. Though we cannot do without them, yet we don't need many. We need a hundred flaming helpers for every leader. Hence, the Lord gives us just about that proportion. Isn't that an amazing statement? Somebody from the, what, late 1800s or something like that. But God's always had this as part of His plan. And, um, and there, are, there are all kinds of levels of leadership. So don't worry, you know, am I a leader? Am I a servant? You know, what, what, what God wants is He wants us to function. And if it takes on leadership dimensions where we're supervising others and recruiting and motivating others, then that's great. But if it's just simply functioning by helping and volunteering and serving, that's great too. That's right. But God wants us to be available. He wants us to be willing. He wants us to be faithful. And then He wants us to be skilled or competent. He wants us to serve Him with excellence.